A meteor shoots across the sky. The fireball can be seen for hundreds of miles across the Midwest. The atmospheric impact even registers on the radar. Hunting for that meteorite once it lands on Earth. Next on Whatever the Weather. Welcome to Whatever the Weather here with the meteorologist Larry Mowry. I'm with you here at the Adler Planetarium. We're talking about meteorites and what some exciting work students and scientists here at the Adler Planetarium are working on. Joining me is Chris Bresky, who's in charge of the Aquarius Project here. So let's just start off by kind of what the catalyst of the Aquarius Project was. Yeah, February 6th, about 1.30 in the morning, a massive uh, boom was heard. Uh, but a lot of the Midwest, Chicago, Wisconsin, and a bright green fireball lit up the night sky. Uh-huh. And uh, that fireball was a meteor exploding above Wisconsin, and that uh, exploded meteor all rained down into Lake Michigan. And a lot of people saw this or people, heard it. Yeah, yeah. If you go onto the American Meteor Society website, you can see over 500 people uh, noted seeing it, hearing it. Uh, responding to it in some way. And the other cool thing as a meteorologist is that the the radar picked up on the debris falling through the atmosphere. <laughs> right. You can see the weather at the time. You're like, those are clouds. Those are clouds. But this, very low over the lake. <laughs> yeah. Those aren't clouds. And they're moving really fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, then, and so the belief is that you you have the some video of the the meteorite coming through the atmosphere, yes. but then you got the radar yeah, data, right? And so that allows you to do what? It gives us our treasure map. It does. Yeah, yeah. it gives us. It, we could say you know you have the you can uh, assume the trajectory or or um, get an average of the trajectory purely by by what all those five hundred people are saying how it went across the sky from this direction to this direction. But to have that radar those radar returns gives us that that map of they, they landed in this region. It's not incredibly precise, but the fact it's Lake Michigan is big, and so to have yeah. any way to focus that search is really helpful. And the belief is that all the material landed somewhere in Lake Michigan. Every single bit of it, yeah. Yeah, and we yeah. don't know how much, we don't know how big the pieces are. Right, right. That's kind of interesting, too. Although we're getting this radar returns, the fusion crust that happens on these meteors as they're going through the atmosphere creates this glassy crust a lot like uh, stealth technology. So you have these stealth rocks flying through the sky. So the ones that get picked up, sure, uh, but there, who knows how many more there were. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So the meteorite fell, and then literally the next day, something popped into your head, <laughs> and that started the Aquarius Project. Yeah, yeah. I'm on this email server because I'm doing education, and my inbox was full of all these astronomers going back and forth about how exciting this is. And one uh, astronomer in particular is an amateur ROV, um, remotely operated vehicle, underwater robot enthusiast. Okay. And so he started asking all the astronomers around, what are the likelihoods that I like put a robot down there, that I could find something. Uh, we didn't know anything about the radar returns at this point. And a lot of the astronomers scoffed at him. They quoted Jaws like, huh, we're going to need a bigger boat, and seemed to leave it there. But I saw an opportunity for uncharted exploration. And that kind of leads us into what your normal job here right. at the planetarium is. Yeah. And so tell us what you do here yeah. and how it kind of segue into sure. this project. So I'm like a storyteller first and foremost, and I come to the science institution, institution as an educator. And basically my job is finding creative ways for teens to engage with science. And this is a great story. It's the mystery of space meeting the mystery of the deep. And I thought, what an exciting way to engage brand new scientists in exploration. So every summer, 
you have a group of students from the Chicago area, mm-hmm. high schoolers, yes. usually high school kids, and they come in and you had you gave them this project to go in Lake Michigan and find pieces of meteorite. It was really exciting to tell them that when they asked, well, what have other people done? Or, <laughs> right? Or, or what's been done with this before? To tell them, you're the first yeah. to do this. Literally, it sounds cheesy, but you literally saw a spark in them that uh, they had a drive to really make something work. Meteorites have been retrieved from underwater um, in like this small sense of the Chelyabinsk meteor fell into a frozen lake. Okay. So if you can imagine a large rock falling into a frozen lake, you might be able to spot where it fell pretty quickly gotcha. by the big hole. Okay. So they went down 30 meters and, and then retrieved it. This is more complicated than that, right? This yeah. is a systematic underwater meteorite retrieval. Okay. So this is actually a planned meteorite hunt. This is an accidental finding. This isn't a, oh, we know it landed there because it, there's a hole there. This is, a, this is the first of its kind, the fact that we're, we're using all these different scientists and their backgrounds to, to uh, tackle this project. Yeah, so we've got the project underway then of the, the students kind of engineering a way to go down underwater and find these meteorites. But also, tell us where you think the meteorite landed in Lake Michigan in reference to Chicago. Uh-huh, yeah. So it's amazing. The uh, really important video of this fall was captured from Lyle, Illinois, by... Um, an on-duty uh, police officer at the time, and that officer could have sworn it just was right over the right over the ridge that he was going to get his cruiser over the ridge and see something on fire or something, wow. you know, big hole. But little did he know that it actually uh, landed ten miles off the coast of Wisconsin, in between Sheboygan and Manitowoc. Wow. Yeah. So that far north from that where far he north. was in Lyle. Yeah. So and it looked that close. Right. It was such a big fireball that it lit up the sky that so distance. You've got a pretty good. You've got a pretty good idea of the fall zone yes and even within that fall zone you have a pretty decent idea of where you think the most meteorites are going to be located yep how big do you think that area is um i'm gonna say the where we want to focus our search in the most dense region and the objects the size about you know golf ball to marble size meteorite objects that will be the uh, pieces that we're picking up i'm gonna say like two mile or two square when you find a meteorite what are some of the things you get in terms of information from that piece of, of rock that was hurling through space for millions and millions of years and just happened to hit us here on Earth? Right. You can think about a meteorite like a time capsule. So these are things that some of these objects predate our solar system or predate the creation of the Earth, the formation of the Earth. So if you, uh, you get to unpack that, you get to learn the building blocks of the solar system. What's exciting about this fall as well, because there was so much footage of the fall, our scientist, Dr. Mark Hammergren, who you've worked with a lot here, has been able to track, using the trajectory from that video, using the angle from the video, being able to track its path back out into the solar system and into the asteroid belt from where it first came from. And so that's actually pretty rare when it comes to meteorite falls, to have all that data already set up. So it makes this find pretty special. And so how deep in Lake Michigan are we talking here? How, how far down is this area underwater? Initial soundings first made us think it was around 200 feet, but now that we've found that there's actually known shipwrecks in that area that are in the 150 to 175 range, we've been able to even um, specify that it's even shallower than we thought. Still not close to the surface, but uh, not uh, unsearchable. And one of the things about the project that's probably been 
enlightening to, to you and, and certainly to me since I've learned about this is that there isn't really a good map of the bottom of Lake Michigan. So you're kind of going into an area that First off, no one's ever really spent a lot of time down there to even map it. And plus, Lake Michigan changes. It's always fluctuating, even especially along the shoreline, but even at the surf or the bottom of the lake, the lake's always changing. So how does that impact what you're trying to do? The lake is changing, especially by the shoreline or, say, the mouths or bodies of water. But that was a lot of the astronomers came to me at first and said, oh, you'll never find it, lost in the muck of Lake Michigan. And so it was good to go to, to a, a marine biologist and say, muck of Lake Michigan, what does that mean? And they're like, well, technically all of Lake Michigan isn't muck. Like you think of a Midwestern pond or lake and your foot goes in and you never want it, like it never wants to come out. You lost your shoe. It, you, yeah. lost, you lost your shoe, exactly. <laughs> the bottom of Lake Michigan is different than that, being that a glacier carves it out. So you have this glacial bedrock, you have hard packed sand, you also have silt. So you have to plan for it to possibly be any of these varying things, but one of those, even from some of the video that we've seen of uh, fishermen from that area, is that it looks like there's a lot of hard packed sand down there. Oh, good. Yeah. So, theoretically, the meteorites haven't been covered up in the past year and a half or right. so. Okay. They said if it was, say, if it was, say, by the mouth of a lake where there's a high sedimentation rate, means like a lot of sand and mud is, is being deposited on the bottom of the lake, that could really affect our chances a lot. But this, it being so 10 miles out, and being so deep, it actually might help and it might be in our favor. And this Aquarius project has kind of gotten national and international press for the Adler Planetarium, which is fantastic. And so did you ever think it would, it would kind of blow up as big as it has? No, no, I did not think that at all. I think the beginning of this whole project was I, had to, I brought all the scientists together who've done a lot of field research before. And again, my background is in the arts, but I think that there's that same childlike curiosity of uh, working scientists is the same as working artists. It's that, that wanting to explore and the world around us and ask questions. And I had to ask these scientists questions because I didn't want to completely look like a fool doing this unprecedented thing that was probably going to be hard and, and had a really slim chance of an any, any like physical outcome, but a really big chance of, uh, of education. So that was my first thing. Don't look like a fool. Just don't, just don't look like a fool, Chris. And once it, once it cleared that hurdle, then, then it moved so quickly that everybody was taking it seriously, um, that uh, I am completely blown away by uh, all the excitement. But except I saw that kind of interest. It, I felt it was the same thing that captivated me from the very beginning, a really exciting story. The mystery of space meets the mystery of the deep evokes a lot of things in people. It's like E.T. meets 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea meets Indiana Jones. Like it's this quest for the unknown. Because you've got all these interdisciplinary sciences all coming together and you're trying to solve a problem and it's like a treasure hunt. Like you said, you got this map and now you got to go find a way to go find the treasure. So what are you going to do if you find a meteorite? Wow. Well, I, you'd want it to be the cinematic moment where we pull it up from the lake and we all I'm like, this, this is it. Maybe it's smoking still and, you know, glowing from space. But of course, it's like the skull from Indiana Jones. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it just says, stamp meteorite from space. No, that would be great. And I'm sure, like, from a media standpoint, or like everybody would love that. But science is a little slower than that. And so we're going to pull up stuff from the bottom of the lake, all different sizes, shapes, and, um, and have a bunch of debris. And we're going to have to sort that and bring that and work with the scientists um, from the Field Museum 
to analyze it. So they've got an electron microscope over at the Field Museum. They have what's called a, a Raman spectroscope, which uh, fires lasers at different material and how that laser bounces off tells you what it's made out of. And so we're looking for a specific makeup of uh, material, but one of the key factors that's like going to scream, hey, this is from outer space, is the presence of nickel iron inside of any of these stones. It would be great if they could bring those instruments onto the boat so you would know right away that you actually had a meteorite, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they have this kind of accurate device called an X-ray fluorescent gun, which is, sounds very sci-fi, and it shoots X-rays at an object and things fluoresce or glow that uh, are of different elements. So it's similar to that Raman spectroscope that I was talking about. And we might be able to get that on board, but it's not super precise, and so that still might be like a maybe, but it, right. we won't. I am very dubious <laughs> of having that aha moment. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of people who are listening may be thinking, you're going to pull up this big, massive rock that's like the size of a basketball out of the lake, and you're like, look what we found. But in reality, it's not going to be anything like that, no, right? No, no. Anything that big exploded on its way down. And um, I was talking to the NASA scientist. I'm like, okay, tell me biggest object that hit the water. He's like, well, even when it hit the surface of the water, it's probably traveling at 170 miles an hour. And biggest, think of the household brick. And still we're not quite certain about the, the makeup of these rocks. So who knows how sturdy that brick was on impact. You know, you know running into water at a high rate of speed, it's still going to be a really hard impact. So it could be, it could have broken up, but it's definitely not basketball size. You have a sense then of, you know, obviously it broke up into hundreds and thousands and millions of pieces as it came through the atmosphere. How big do you think it was when it hit the atmosphere? There are different um, uh, educated guesses of what that might be based on um, the waves from the disruption, the boom, when it exploded. They can calculate that disruption, like the, the seismic activity of that or like the wave activity of that, and then give a good estimate of what the size of it is. I've heard different ranges, probably like we're thinking small car to like beetle, like a Volkswagen Volkswagen uh, Beetle. And it's amazing to think that our atmosphere can blow that up in a short amount of time that right. it fell through the atmosphere. Yeah. But that's how dense our atmosphere is. Some person says, well, how hot was it, you know, when it came through? It's like, well, it's been floating around and frozen in, in super cold space, and it's only in our atmosphere for seconds. It's flying real fast, and yeah, only seconds, so it cools down real quick. It's interesting you think about it. It's, so, it's super cool in, the, in space, and then it hits our atmosphere. Friction heats it up, the atmosphere heats it up, yeah. the compression heats it up, boom, boom it explodes. Yeah. Which yeah. makes sense when you have something cold and you throw it in hot water. <laughs> not good things are going to happen, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, a change will occur. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> really neat to think about it yeah. like that. Next time on Whatever the Weather. So let's think about this for a second. Sure. So we've got a four and a half by four and a half sled right. in giant Lake Michigan. Yep, yep. And we're hoping to find a meteorite. Oh, sure. Is, oh, yeah. How is that going to happen? Well, yeah, uh-huh. You're asking all the right questions. Today's episode was produced by Jen Rourke. You can find this and more podcasts like it at abc7chicago.com slash podcasts.